Hey all welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunski. On this show, we want to teach you how to take a data-driven approach to your health. So we look at all of the latest technology, all of the researchers, speak to as many of the health experts as we can. First of all, to help you learn how to capture and quantify data on your health. Second, to learn how to interpret that data so you can use it for better health decision making. That's what we focus on on this show. That's also why we've created the Heads Up Health app, which will allow you to link up all of your health information into one place and use our tools to start to use that information for better health decision making. So if you haven't checked out our app yet, head over to headsuphealth.com. And now let's get into the next episode. Welcome to Data Driven Health Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. And I am really excited for today's show. And we're going to talk about nutrigenomics, and we're going to talk about that in the context of, of the ketogenic diet. And I have a brilliant practitioner, Sarah Morgan, sitting across from me today who helped me with my genetic analysis. So, Sarah, thanks for joining, and we're really excited about today's show. Before we dive in, just give us a quick overview on yourself, and before we start getting into the really nerdy details, just a high-level summary on, on what we're going to talk about here today and why yeah. it matters. Yes. Just real quick, I am, my name's Sarah Morgan. I am the gene queen. So this Best is a- moniker I've heard in a long time. That is a winner. Yeah. So uh, I love this stuff. I love to geek out. I love to get into the details. It's super fun. I've worked in the field for the past uh, 13 years okay. and um, actually I've just recently transitioned out of my clinical practice. I still see some people for genetic consults um, that are just standalone appointments to kind of direct them properly because I have a big passion for that. Yeah. I have uh, several other uh, health and wellness companies I'm running. So that's a little bit about me. Um, what we're diving into is a certain type of genetic information um, that we're going to look at called SNP data. And before we do that, I just, I, I like to give people a little bit of, you know, context of what this is, why we're talking about this. So in 2003, we completed the Human Genome Project. So that gave us a map of our genome, kind of our blueprints of what was happening. And, you know, it's really interesting is we thought we were for sure going to find at least 50,000 genes because, you know, as humans, we're so complex, right? Well, we found maybe 20 to 25. It's actually still debatable how many genes we have because we're still sorting through all of it, uh, which is really interesting because another passion of mine is the microbiome or what I like to say, the buddies in my belly. Yep. Uh, you know, they're not us, but they regulate most of our human health. And they have a lot of genes too that we're actually starting to look at how their genetics actually impact our human gene expression. Wow. which will be really cool. Yeah. yeah. For that to it kind of develop. I was actually talking uh, about it with a physician this morning myself as well. Um, but when we're talking about genetic information, you know, you get a copy from mom and a copy from dad um, for all of our genetic information outside of our mitochondrial DNA, which is a little bit different. 
you get your mitochondrial DNA only from your mama. Okay. So that one's a little bit different, but we have these chemical bases, um, adenine, guanine, guanine, cytosine, and thiamine. And we take these chemical bases, we pair them with a sugar molecule. Yes, you are sweet at the core and a phosphate. And then we make a nucleotide. And then these little guys are arranged in a certain way to allow a gene to function properly. Okay. So that's kind of the basis of, you know, genetics. And then these SNPs, which are called single nucleotide polymorphisms, are these little substitutions that occur um, in these nucleotides, right? Where one is substituted for another. It's kind of like when we're spelling a word, we have a one letter substitution. And sometimes they don't really do anything. Uh, other times they can really impact things. Now we're not talking about like deletions. Um, some of these things like a geneticist would look at with these inborn areas of metabolism that children have when they're born. These are more subtle, right? There are things like how well could we maybe detox? Um, how well we're set up potentially for our mood, how well we're set up to handle inflammation. And then something I'm super excited to talk about is what types of diets we might tolerate best. Really exciting part. That's why that's what we're going to go deep into here because there are so many people out there banging the drum on, on this is how you should eat and that's how you should eat and here's exactly how you should do it. And well, if you're not getting results, you're doing it wrong. And I just didn't see anyone bringing the genetic component to the table, especially in low carb keto. So that's why I'm really, really excited for today's show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's this big, um, field, like it's, it's a popular diet, right? It's, I would say kind of a trend and we just want to make sure you're set up well. And, and, you know, everybody really is individual. And another thing just about genetics that I just want to highlight super quick before we go into the genes is, you know, our genes are, and our genome are always going to stay the same. So if you like test your genes and then you test your genes in five years, they're going to be the same, but your gene expression changes all the time. And we get to be in the driver's seat of that. And that's what's so empowering about it. And, you know, food is information to our genes. Our environment is information to our genes, our stress levels, our sleep, all these, you know, how much water we drink, if it's clean water or not. So we want to think about them as all data points, right? That we're giving and we're feeding our genes. And then we can do these kind of subtle things to support our gene expression properly. Yeah, the nerd in me really just wants like real-time data on my, my gene expression changes so I can get some really quick feedback on whether a certain lifestyle change is having an impact. Yeah. Uh, we're not quite there yet. We're not. We're getting there, though. We're going to be able to look at that. Um, but what we can do now and what I encourage people to do is look at biomarkers. So a lot of those would be like um, blood, urine, sometimes salivary markers that you can do, um, you know, to really get an idea of what's happening. Because these genes are building these 3D protein structures that work as enzymes. Mm -hmm. And enzymes are kind of running our metabolic freeways. So we can kind of say like, 
again, the biochemical nerd in me will say like, okay, what is this enzyme doing, right? What pathway is it working on? So we can look at, um, you know, an end product. We can look at a cofactor that helps that enzyme work well, and we can see the status of that. And that gives us a lot of clues about more of that real-time gene expression. Yeah, I think that's why we created Heads Up Health. And what that allows you to do is look at your nutrition genome data right next to your blood tests. Amazing. And, and even next to your chronometer food logs and your your blood sugar readings and your sleep data. That's and awesome. In the hands of a talented practitioner, they can start helping you connect the dots. And when you understand how the dots are connected and someone develops that awareness, oh, okay. So by doing some stress management techniques, that's going to help me potentially bring down these biomarkers. That's a win for humanity. So we want to help people connect the dots here. And um, for those who are maybe new to this, there was an episode on the podcast where we interviewed Alex Swanson from Nutrition Genome. And we're, we're going to be using his, um, his reports. That's the test I've done. And so you can order your Nutrition Genome sample online and get tested and you'll get a, a full report that has all of the information that Sarah and I are going to talk about today and then if you want to go back and listen to the show you can cross-reference it so we've had um, Alex on the show to talk about the nutrition genome stuff just recently we had a company on the podcast called Endocana and they're analyzing the genome from the perspective of the um, body's endocannabinoid system. Mm, cool. And they're, they're tailoring medicinal cannabis based on genome. But um, this is just more along this really, really exciting area of the ability for the everyday person to get just incredibly powerful information. Yep. For like, you know, a couple hundred bucks and a cheek swab, and you've got some really, really good information. So... With that said, uh, we work with a lot of people who have metabolic disorders in heads of health. And that could be everything from just stubborn weight loss to type 2 diabetes, epilepsy, or they are using therapeutic ketogenic diet for epilepsy or cancer. And as you mentioned, it's obviously very hot right now. It's the buzzword du jour. I think I was on a road trip and through just like middle of nowhere, Indiana, and went to In-N-Out Burger and sitting at my table. I had my cheeseburger with lettuce wrap, and you know the table behind me, everybody was talking about the keto diet. So it's just permeating the collective consciousness right now. And I try not to be dogmatic about this stuff and I realize how individualized it is and, and people get so intense about how to do it and, and it's like, well, there's a, there's a whole nother level of detail here that no one is talking about. Well, your macros are wrong. More fat, less fat, more protein. You know, shoot me in the face. <laughs> but, but nobody's looking at why it's not working potentially because of factors specific to your genetic expression. And I, I first got introduced to Alex Swanson from Dr. Nasha Winters mm, using mm -hmm. this with all of her patients. Yeah. Was using this with all of her patients when she was seeing patients. She was the first one who said, Dave, before I do my keto diet with anybody, I run the nutrition genome. Yeah. Why? And she's like, well, perhaps some people are just not getting into deep enough therapeutic ketosis for extreme cancer, and I need to put them on a supplement that helps them get into deeper levels. I, I can't remember the exact snip she talked about, 
like, wow, this is an area that I want to uh, share more on. Yeah. Um, with that kind of context set, I'm going to share my screen here now. And for those of you who want to see this on YouTube, we're going to look at the nutrition genome sample report. And Sarah's going to take us through some of the top SNPs to look at for anyone who is considering a ketogenic diet, what they are, why they matter, and everybody can get this information. You, you don't have to go to a doctor. The Nutrition Genome website has access to amazing practitioners who will help you go through all this stuff. It's deep, but it can be game-changing. So yeah. take us home, Tim. All right. So the first thing we're going to do is, um, you know, th this report is divided based off of sections, which I love. So the first one I'm going to talk about is actually not in the, um, like, digestion nutrient section, which is the first section of the report. Okay. So we're going to actually go to, um, let's see, PEMT is the gene that I want to look at. And it's actually in two different locations. Um, the first location would be is in the methylation section. All right, let me just do this. Yeah, if you want to. Oh, yeah, that's a great way to do it, too. I always forget about that um, option. All right, PEMT, what does that mean, and why is it important for um, low-carb ketogenic? Yeah, so this is actually, like, again, starting higher level. When we talk about a ketogenic diet, what we're really requiring the body to do is use another fuel source. And, you know, we're um, bumping up the fats um, so that you're going to be making ketone bodies as an energy source, right? So one of the basics of fat metabolism is an organ called your liver. Your liver is very important to be able to metabolize, utilize fats properly um, so that this can happen, okay? And PEMT is a gene that allows you to make a nutrient called choline, okay? And choline is crucial for liver function. And if people are choline deficient, um, you can have what's called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease that happens at an extreme level of that. Um, so the first place I always start when I'm thinking about somebody using a higher fat diet is I want to know how their liver is doing, how they're set up for um, you know, their liver function that way. And people who have variants here, okay, so when we talk about that, remember you have a copy from mom, copy from dad. So when you have normal functioning variants, you know, that things, things work well, right? That's awesome. You're going to make choline. Your body can make it. You can also get choline from your diet. Now, when you have these variants, um, one variant, you can have one variant or you can have two variants. So that would be heterozygous, meaning only one copy of the variant homozygous meaning two copies of the variant and um, when we see this these people are much more likely to ex you know you can see choline deficiency and these are the people who are more susceptible to problems with um, shuttling fat out of their liver their liver kind of gets clogged up with a bunch of fat um, choline is really important for gallbladder function so if we think about the liver is making bile, which a lot of people have probably heard about, and then we send that bile to our gallbladder, it's stored and concentrated, and then it releases it into the small intestines, and that's what helps, kind of like soap, it like emulsifies, it breaks it up into smaller pieces, so it's easier for us to actually absorb that into our bloodstream so we can utilize those fats. 
Okay. So, so would this be a situation, Sarah, where someone is is following a proper uh, high fat diet template, but like with Dr. Nasha, they're just not getting into deep enough levels of ketosis. Great question. So that's actually going to be a different gene um, okay. we'll talk about that has to actually do with ketone body formation. Where How would I see PEMT as a co potential choline deficiency? What would tip you off in, in a person's labs, for example? Um, so I would, if somebody's homozygous for PEMT genes, I would be very suspicious about them doing well with a high fat diet without really supporting their system with supplementation of choline. Choline so, supplementation. So if yes. you were homozygous here, you're not producing enough choline. Or if you're heterozygous, maybe you are producing some, but not enough. And so you would, that's where you would start to look at is, okay, we want to provide a choline supplement for this individual. Yeah, absolutely. So choline is really important for the liver. It's also one of the building blocks of our cell membranes, which we have trillions of them. It's very important for, you know, when we think about the liver too, the liver is um, really important for detoxification, right? Our liver filters our blood at a hundred gallons a day. It's taking garbage, it's dumping it into our bile and getting it out of the body in the form of a bowel movement. I call it poop out your problems because it's easy to remember, right? I, I'm a huge fan of the Bristol Bristol score we actually built the Bristol score into heads up health so you can like record awesome. what you ate record your score and then share that with your doctor we've had Grace Lou on the poo princess so we're mm -hmm. very comfortable talking about um, bowel movements here on this show we love bowel movements here yes it's super important right so the liver and gallbladder are really important for that process as well and then it's, um, choline is really important for your brain. Um, that's another thing I bring up. So when we're thinking about, like you asked the question, how do we tell if somebody's low in choline? Um, I try to look at different signs and symptoms just personally for me, um, I, along with their genes, right? Um, and then their diet, because you can consume choline in your diet. That is, that is something, um, where you can get it in egg yolks is the highest source um, in your diet. Yep. Um, even like Brussels sprouts have some choline in them. So there's different places you can get them. Um, liver is another good source of choline. Um, so we want to kind of assess that across the board. Also, we want to look at high demand times for choline. So women who are pregnant have extreme um, demands for choline and when they're nursing. So this would be another time where you know, like what's the most common surgery after pregnancy? Women getting their gallbladders removed because they don't, they're using choline for that developing baby and they don't have a lot left over for their liver gallbladder and it gets kind of stagnant and it doesn't work well. So the big takeaway is if you're low in choline, you're not going to be able to actually start the absorption of fats. The digestion of fats is going to be compromised. So if we look at the sample report here and let's just pretend this is somebody's real report and they're looking at this, mm -hmm. this particular individual, sample individual, is heterozygous for PEMT. So not quite full, they don't have both variants, but definite, well, actually it looks like there's a few um, variations here. There's actually three, three rows for PEMT. Mm -hmm. 
So they've got two normal, two wild type variants, and then one heterozygous. So when I look at that, I actually wouldn't be that concerned, but I'd also want to know, is this a female? Has she been pregnant? Is she nursing? How many pregnancies has she had? Is she having any anxiety? Is she having issues with fat? Like that's something I ask because some people would be like, oh yeah, if I eat a bunch of fat, I feel terrible. Gotcha. That's cool. That's that's a liver core. Would tip you off there as well. Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. So, and if you saw uh, three of them in the homozygous, then that's going to be an immediate red flag for you, correct? Absolutely. I, well, and you know, I'd want to support it and I would probably be not as aggressive about um, scaling up fats as quickly Understood. and I might keep them under more of a balanced um, amount of fat um, just because they could have more issues with like their liver getting fatty cool. with a high fat diet. Right on. Okay. So uh, that's number one. That was awesome. Where do you want to take us next? All right. So next place, we'll go back to uh, digestion, the nutrients, which is going to be towards um, the top. It's the first section of the report. And the first one I want to talk about is FADS2. Let me see if I can get back to the search here. There's a lot of them, right? <laughs> yeah, this is a monster report. FADS2. There we go. There we go. Okay, so this one's really cool because when you talk about people who like have metabolic issues, you know, they have neurological issues, they're doing a ketogenic diet for a specific reason. Something that's important um, to think about as well is their omega-3 status of these fatty acids because these are anti-inflammatory, they're important for the nervous system. Good status is also really important for even things like diabetes, we know. Um, So this gene has to do with taking shorter chain omega-3 fatty acids like, um, you know, flaxseed and walnuts, this alpha linolenic acid and converting it to the longer chain fish oils that we tend to think about EPA and DHA. And what's really cool is we want to look at how well this enzyme works. So people who have a uh, full functioning enzyme, it's doing well. Uh, you know, they have wild type. Those people are going to do a good job converting plant sources of those shorter chain fatty acids into the longer chain fatty acids. Okay, so they might not be as dependent upon, uh, you know, consuming fish oil, for example, or, you know, there's algae, some sources that you can get these longer chain omega 3s. But that's important too, right? When we think about fat. We want to think about these really powerful anti-inflammatory fats. And what's cool is it gives you a clue about your ancestors. People who have a you know a normal functioning gene here, like the sample report we see, um, they probably didn't have a lot of access to fish and seafood. So their body could, you know, that enzyme worked really well so it could convert properly. People okay. are maybe yeah. People who are homozygous probably had a lot of access to seafood to fish, right? That was in their diet. That enzyme kind of didn't really have to work very well. Um, so again, it's just a clue, but a really neat thing to look in about your um, omega-3 needs and your sourcing of omega-3s. So if you were homozygous here and then you were eating a purely plant-based diet, you, you, you might suspect then that that person is not going to be able to produce enough of the 
uh, anti-inflammatory EPA, DHA type. Um, exactly. Yep. Test. And it's always good to check those levels, right? You can actually check your EPA and DHA levels, which I always love to do and see what's happening there. What's really interesting is when I was working in clinical practice, I'd look at these genes, I'd do these kind of extensive nutrient reports. And I, it was very correlated to this enzyme function, you know, like me example, I have great function. I don't really take fish oils and my EPA and DHA was very robust in terms of status. So, you know, it's, it, it's kind of cool, right. To compare those things. Well, that's a really important point. And one of the things you, you hammered home when, when you were doing my analysis was the lab tests that I can look at as well. Yes. And again, a, a lot of the times on Heads Up Health, we encourage people if their doctor won't run certain tests to go run them themselves. There's n many websites you can just order your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio, for example, or if you have a good functional doctor, we'll order that for you. So here's a situation where you, you have a potential mutation. You can get a simple lab test. Yep. That will help you determine how much action needs to be taken here, if any. So. Yeah. That's where this is very important to cross-reference with some basic lab testing. Absolutely. Yeah, so cool stuff, right? Just tools. You use it as information and tools to kind of guide you. Uh, next one is FUT2. F-U-T. Um, 2 This guy has to do with how well you feed the buddies in your belly or your microbiome. Two to four pounds of the friendly, health-promoting bacteria that regulates most of human health. The reason I bring this one up is there is just a recent research study that was published about the type of bacteria living in your small intestines plays a significant role in your fat absorption. Um, so, you know, we, we want to make sure we have a healthy microbiome when we're talking about upping our fats as well, because if you have more dysbiosis or what I say, the bad germs and good buddies, you can have more of an inflammatory response if you increase your fats, right? And this is where we see that individualized, um, part of that individualized response with a ketogenic diet or higher fat. Um, people who have, let's see, if we look at the sample report, they're heterozygous across the board, right? So here, the, the big thing to support is actually prebiotics or food for your probiotic buddies that live in your belly. Because if you have changes in this gene, you're not actually feeding your um, microbiome as well. And you can have more issues with lower levels of bifidobacterium, um, which is a really anti-inflammatory uh, bacteria. Um, it also makes B vitamins, which I think we talked about before as well. And people who have SNPs here tend to have lower levels of certain B vitamins like vitamin B12 and folate. That's, um, that's definitely something that came up on my report. Yeah, so we just want to, again, it's, it doesn't mean everything's in balance. It just means, hey, you need a little bit more support, uh, specifically with the diversity of fibers, plant fibers in your diet. And if we look at the Human Microbiome Project, we know to have a really nice diverse microbiome, you want to be eating about 25 different plant species a week. And that's something on a ketogenic diet as a little bit of a critique for people doing a ketogenic diet is they tend to really lower their diversity of food yeah. and specifically these fibers and you don't want to do that. Yeah, well, I know that for a very short time period, if you have to come in and do a very intense short-term therapeutic 
ketogenic diet, obviously you're going to, the, the nutrients, the types of foods is going to get much smaller. Mm-hmm. But I think once your body has made that initial recovery and you're, you're out of the red zone with whichever situation might be, then you can start adding back a lot of really deep nutrient density. So doing low carb keto in a way that also is getting as many of these plant uh, species into you as well. Yep. And again, it's like short term, not too big of a deal, right? But when people are doing these keto diets, like two years and they eat a diversity of carnivore, somebody's on carnivore and and they have this mutation. It's like, that's all that there's, there's zero plant species going into them. So if you had these, if you saw these mutations and and then someone said to you, I'm doing carnivore, that, that would be potentially again, something that might be discouraged. I would, I would a hundred percent discourage that if I saw these in someone that I w- that I was doing a genetic consult with. Yes, absolutely. Okay. But yeah, again, you get, you I love this stuff because nobody's talking about this. People are like, okay, they, a lot of people are trying that that lifestyle, and it and it does work really, really good for weight loss. And there may be some people that only respond to that for certain um, metabolic therapy. But that's where I think I wanted to have this discussion because there's another another level of detail that could indicate how well you're going to respond to this and and it might be a terrible idea for you <laughs> once you and see this result. Yeah. And that's the other side of it too is you know that I just caution people like very extreme restrictive diets can be detrimental if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know this individualized information. So before you do something like that I think it's really good get a little bit of a roadmap like this, right? Like run your nutrition genome and get some more answers of what's going on. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, they get the weight loss results when they do this. And that's really like so rewarding for them because fi- maybe finally, okay, I did extreme keto or, or carnivore and man, I, I finally lost the weight. I feel good. I look good. I've, I've been struggling with this weight loss for 20 years and they get a result but it might not be actually the best thing for you long-term because of situations like this. Yep, absolutely. It's, and there's a balance, right? Like you might do that therapeutically for a period of time, but then you have to figure out what is your maintenance, and that's really important to look at this for your long-term. This is health. awesome. Yep. Okay, so that's number three. Where should we go next? All right, let's go to A-C-A-T. It should be, I'm, I think I tried to kind of go in order here. Yeah, it's on the same page. Under this guy, yeah. So this one has to do with how your body converts protein and fat to our cellular energy in the form of ATP. And this happens in our mitochondria, which are our little energy buddies. And, you know, we, what's crazy is we make our body weight in ATP every single day. That's what allows me to blink my eyes, my heart beats, I can talk, I'm breathing, I'm living and feeling good. So we want to make sure that someone has good capacity to get energy from proteins and fats in their mitochondria, right? And this also, um, this gene also has to do with cholesterol balance in the cell. Okay. So if, if someone has issues here, let's see, what are their, so these results are normal, which is great, right? When we're looking at this sample copy, um, if we were looking at somebody who is homozygous, let's say they might be someone who goes on a higher fat, maybe they're consuming more protein in their diet and their cholesterol goes up. 
which I actually happens to a small percentage of people where they have, I think the term is a hyper responder or maybe the cholesterol panel, the lipid panel doesn't move the way it's supposed to. Most people will see triglycerides go down, HDL go up. So if this is, if there's a variant here, then it will affect how your body's handling the extra cholesterol. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it has to do with the balance, like of the cholesterol in the cell, what's happening there. And we're, it's just looking at capacity, right? How these enzymes are going to be able to work to utilize the proteins and the fats. And when that doesn't happen well, and you're kind of shoving a bunch of fat into the front end of that pathway and the enzyme's slow. It can't get it into the cell as ATP. So it's kind of. So you can go on keto. Yeah. And you go on keto and you, you know, you're eating more fat, but you feel kind of exhausted and it doesn't change. It's not like, oh, I'm switching over to ketosis. It's like, I never feel good because your body is it's literally lowering its ability to produce ATP. Well, you're switching your fuel source from plant-based, carbohydrate-based to fat, fat protein-based, but the body is not able to properly use the fat and the protein and you actually it, it could backfire I, I yeah. guess to say it. yep and I always recommend you know if you're gonna again if you're gonna do a ketogenic diet you're gonna push the high fat you need to watch your cholesterol like you need to do a panel to watch that and you need to watch your liver enzymes because if they start to go up that's an indication your liver is stressed going back to that choline the PEMT gene wow just another great reason to make sure when you're doing keto that you run some basic labs Yep. Go to private MD labs or whatever, buy the lipid panel, 50 bucks, do it yourself if you have to, run it, I don't know, what, every six months, what, what would you recommend? Yeah, when you're first starting out, I would do it actually maybe every two to three months because, so you can catch it sooner. Yeah. And then like maintenance, yeah, every six to 12 months, yeah. you know, once you kind of feel like you've normalized a little bit and you see what, what's happening. So if things are out of whack on your lipid panel and you're not sure why, there could be a clue here. Yes, absolutely. One of many that we'll get into a couple other ones in here too. All right. Number five. All right. Number five is the red meat gene. <laughs> I'm going to say it. So this one is the A-D-I-P-O-Q. It's a mouthful. It's the adipolectin yeah. gene. You see that? Yeah. Okay, so this sample one is normal. We got a lot of normals the on here. Boring sample report. Yeah, right. Gotta tell Alex to spice it up a little bit on the sample report. Yeah, so this has to do with um, so adiponectin is a hormone that's actually released in our um, our intestinal tract when we eat foods, and it has to do with insulin. How much insulin is actually going to be secreted? So that affects our glucose metabolism, our blood sugars. Um, type 2 diabetes. So people who are lower secretors of this hormone are going to have potentially problems, right? So they could have problems with, um, you know, having issues with insulin resistance, um, higher blood sugar. They're predisposed to metabolic disease. Exactly. Yes, they are are predisposed. Um, So some of the things that help this function better are, you know, you exercise, intermittent fasting, Um, omega-3s have actually been seen in trials to actually increase that adiponectin um, secretion from the gut, Um, and then turmeric too, turmeric can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. 
and then berries, berries, um, uh, ginger is another one. You know, there's some compounds in there that will help with more secretion there. Um, and then what's really interesting about this one, why we talk about it. Sarah, before you go, I just want to make one point. I think that's, that's the whole concept of this. You might hear this term nutrigenomics. What does that even mean? And that's how do you tailor diet towards your genomic profile? And you just gave a great example. And to say, if, if this is, um, if you have a mutation here, we can do that. And, and here's the foods that are going to help you naturally address that issue. I think that's really at the core of what nutrition genome does is, is it goes through all of the research and the clinical experience and says based on your specific genetic profile, here's, here's the dietary things you should do to help you with this specific variant, which is really awesome. So I just, for yeah. those who are listening, we're talking about a lot of really technical stuff, but if you break it down to the simplest level, it's just, how do I, how do I optimize my diet? for my Yeah. Diet? Yep. So people who are, no, go, that's great. And um, people who are low secretors here um, in the research have a higher risk for insulin resistance, heart disease, and colon cancer too. And this is why we call it the red meat gene, because we see um, people who consume more red meat, um, there's a direct correlation. We don't know exactly how it happens, but there's some type of synergistic effect with this gene, um, with high red meat intake increasing colon cancer risk. So this is a big one to know about because you know, when people go keto, I think one of the mistakes too is a lot of times they tend to go higher protein. Yep. And, you know, we, we really want to be careful about that and then also know, like, where you're getting your protein from is really important. Um, so, you know, again, moderation <laughs> is, is a perfect place where this would be key. Now, someone who's homozygous here, um, what I would do is I would make sure they're exercising, right? That's going to be a great way to modulate this. I would yes, as well. I would you also say to make sure that you're not just exercising and sweating, but also body composition. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And you know, like um, Mike Mutzel, metabolic Mike, he's a friend of mine. I had him on my podcast recently and we were talking about like, why can't I lose weight? You know, this like issue so many people face and insulin resistance starts in the muscles. Mm -hmm. So it's so important to move, to have good muscle mass, to make sure your muscle fibers, those tissues are actually healthy. And that's going to reduce risk for insulin resistance and diabetes, you know, yeah. for decades. I think more people should, I know it's hard for a lot of people, especially later in life to take up like strength training, especially if there's an expectation that you need to go into the gym and it can be, very intimidating but muscle mass and lean mass is just a really important component of helping to improve our base metabolic rate and helping us process sugar better and so that's one thing i'm actually seeing improve as i go to more of these keto conferences we're always there talking to people and in the early days there were very few people who were like jacked on a keto diet and now it's like people are really starting to get into it and, and there's a lot of really strong and fit people. There's now bodybuilders like Robert Sykes who are following keto diet and doing incredible with muscle building. And then the guys at Keto Gains, they'll hammer this home. I love going into that group on Flex Fridays because 
you'll see 65, 70 year old grannies on Friday and they're posting their guns in yep. the Facebook group. So lift some heavy things is, is the takeaway point here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like push, pull, like get moving. Don't yeah. be afraid of that. And if you've never done it, just like, you know, find a way that it works for you. And, you know, I personally, like I work out about four times a week and I love classes. Like I love to be challenged because it pushes me more me than too. I do myself. Totally. A hundred percent. Yeah. Get your butt kicked and there's other people around you. So that just adds another level of motivation and you got to, you got to ride it out till the end. So yeah, it's a, yeah. The community aspect of movement and like the accountability of it is just awesome. So yeah, that's a big one. All right. Let's do a time check here. So we're at 45 minutes in. Why don't we do a couple more and see where we're at time wise. I want to be respectful of your time. So um, where should we go next? So I'm going to mention um, the fat taxi cab gene just really quick. It's the SLC 22A5. Fat taxi cab, that's a sweet name for it. Yeah, so it picks up our fats, shuttles them to our mitochondria to be burned as an energy source. And these are our long chain fatty acids, which we get from our diet. Like you eat an avocado and it goes into your digestive tract and you absorb it right across the gut barrier then carnitine is going to pick it up and shuttle it to your little mitochondria where it's like the gym, you know, the little fat molecules are going to go and get burned up for energy in that form of ATP. So if you have lower levels of carnitine, your ability to actually transport the fat to your mitochondria to be burned as an energy source could be compromised. And carnitine is also really important for modulation of inflammation in your mitochondria, which has a lot to do with a lot of different neurological issues that we see. So that's just a big one. You know, carnitine actually is in red meat. You can consume it that way, but your body makes it. Um, vitamin C is really helpful for that. Trimethylysine, it's a product of methylation, carnitine is. So you want to make sure you're methylating well, you have good amino acids. That was my it. biggest downfall on my genomics was the methylation stuff. Yep. That's, that's and it's, where mine is most important for me to pay attention to. Yeah. And that, you know, carnitine is just going to be a byproduct of that, right? Like if you're methylating well, you support that, you're going to make more carnitine just naturally. Cool. So that's, cool. that's a cool one. Um, LC is the transporter, but then also you mentioned ACAT, that's for conversion. So you've got to, I guess, yes. look at both of these, correct? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. For in terms of like how the mitochondria are using those as an energy source. Okay, the next one is the big one that you asked about. This is the PPAR alpha. And it's the peroxisome proliferator activated receptor gene. Is that the right one I got here? Let's see. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's the alpha. Let me just see. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so this one's heterozygous, but this one is the ketone gene. Okay, this is the one when you asked me earlier, you know, like if somebody needs a little extra help to get into ketosis, this would be it, especially if you're homozygous. So this plays a role in fatty acid metabolism, how our fats are actually utilized and ketosis. Okay, mm -hmm. this is a big one too that we're going to see problems with a um, cholesterol panel with like, uh, you know, your triglycerides, your HDL, LDL. Um, in people who are poor responders, okay? So, you know, they may not feel as well when they try to go into ketosis. They may feel pretty crappy on a ketogenic diet, 
And these are people that potentially would have ketogenic hypoglycemia mm -hmm. because they're not able to maintain even blood sugar levels well because their ketone production is low and it's then not they're not there. a so lot of a normal person is going to see their ketones start to tick up as blood sugar goes down with this it doesn't happen so well yes you feel like crap you get hypoglycemia yeah. wow okay so this would be you know dr winters probably was referring to this one in terms of like exogenous ketones right where you'd be taking those versus just depending on your body's own production because he can't do it as well. Mm. Okay, so that's a really, really big one. And anybody who's going on this, definitely wanna look at it. This would be another one. If you are homozygous and you're taking exogenous ketones, I really want you to watch your cholesterol. Another great reason to keep an eye on the lipids. Go get some testing, put it in heads up health, track it, make sure things look good. Yep. Cross-reference it with this information here. Love it. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to do two for the next one because this has to do with saturated fat from animal protein gene. Okay, both of these. So this is ACSL1. They're, they're going to be right by each other. So once you look that one up, the other one is going yep, to be... I got them here. And then you see APOA2 right below yep. that. Okay, so the first one, it has to do with how well you metabolize fats, specifically saturated fats from animals. So we're talking about, you know, like, oh, I'm going to consume a lot of bacon and I'm going to pound a bunch of fat bombs from dairy. Mm -hmm. uh, these people are more likely to have issues with higher fasting glucose and problems with insulin resistance, you know, leading towards that like type two diabetes, people with this gene, let's say they're homozygous. Again, this one's normal, so that's great. But if you're homozygous, even heterozygous, you really wanna focus on getting your fats from plant sources Huge. or animal. okay? So that's another one. It's more like the Mediterranean ketogenic diet, right? Where you're doing more like olives, olive oil, nuts yep. and seeds. Fish, salmon, yep. And that's where your fat's coming from. The only thing of the saturated fat that doesn't, that's not included in this is coconut. Mm -hmm. So coconut is fine. It, it's metabolized a little bit differently. It doesn't impact this gene in the same way. Coconut for the win. I mean, it's just- Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Um, okay, so this APOA2, this is the eat fat, get fat gene, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and I know that sounds funny because it's the opposite of what we say with the ketogenic. Totally. But what's interesting here is this has to do with an enzyme um, that regulates your appetite a little bit. And people who eat more fat tend to be more hungry and they want more food and they tend to consume more calories in a Crazy. day. Yeah. The way you mitigate this is yeah. movement. The more you move, the more that enzyme works. So if you are homozygous, one of the first things I say is like, don't have a desk job where you sit eight hours a day because that's going to destroy you, okay? And especially if you're consuming a lot of saturated fat and you're like, I'm more hungry, okay? Yeah. I will say I don't see a lot of homozygous here. Cool. Um, I, it's pretty rare, but just another thing for people to be aware of where you actually can gain more weight when you eat more saturated fat. Well, and then, and then you just gave people a simple thing. Like, and if you have the mutation and you're finding that this is true for you, you, you have to exercise more. Yep. yep. And you just move and that activates that enzyme more where you don't have that response. Okay. The next one, FTO is the hangry gene. Okay. I love it. 
Um, this has to do with taxi cab. We got hangry gene. We got, I, can't I like find making it here. fun, right? It's important to make it fun. Why so can't I find one, it? Um, uh, um, FTO. If you search that, do you see it? No. Oh, I don't know why it wouldn't be coming up on the sample report. It might be actually a newer gene. This is probably an older report. Yeah, it probably right. is. So it's another good point. Like, again, the area of genetics is always changing. We're always yep. learning. So this one has probably been added like within the last six months. I know they didn't. Yeah, I think that's why Alex said he's moving from PDF report to pay it like a portal so that he yes. can dynamically update this stuff. So if you're watching on YouTube or if you want to watch on YouTube, we're sharing the sample report. This one's not going to be in the video, but yeah, so this one has to do with your hunger hormone um, ghrelin and people who, uh, you know, have this, if they're, especially if you're homos, I guess you're the person who's like, I'm just hungry all the time. You know, if I see this, someone who's homos, I guess I'm like, are you hungry a lot? And most of them are like, oh, no one has ever asked Hallelujah. me. Hallelujah. Yeah. I'm hungry all the time. So the biggest thing here is you know, you just want to balance blood sugars, right? You want to make sure you're not consuming high glycemic foods, which is, you know, something when you're on a ketogenic diet, people are kind of already doing, right? But I just want to, I'm bringing this one up as you really want to watch how you respond in terms of even your hunger signals too, right? With the type of diet that you're eating. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, this, is and, so, this is so important. It's like, I wish yeah. that before anybody makes any nutritional change that like this is the baseline that you start from we're sitting down with someone like yourself to say okay what are your health goals let's look at this information and let's come up with a nutritional plan for you yep yeah exactly it's like, of, of, the, of the diet wars is yeah <laughs> yeah now it's like it, we're totally individualizing somebody's nutrition which is the way it should be because yeah. uh, we are we all are a little bit unique Okay, the last gene is the carb gene. I this love this one. You mentioned this on my report. Okay, yeah. what, what is the name of it? This is the TCF7L2. TCF7L2. Yeah, this has to do with um, incretin, which is a hormone that has to do with insulin sensitivity. Okay, and this is the biggest indicator of type 2 diabetes, like across the board in terms of studies. So if you are heterozygous, it's kind of like, eh, you shouldn't pound the carbs. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're homozygous, you really want to be careful with your carbohydrates. For me, I'm normal here, right? So like I actually have a higher tolerance for carbohydrates, yep. um, but other people don't, right? So this is a big one that I use mm. when we're looking at macros, right? Of like, individualize how you should do things because you could even do keto but somebody who has a normal variant here they're going to be able to kind of swing in and out and they're going to have a lot more metabolic flexibility with being able to use carbohydrates and not have the negative consequences versus someone who's homozygous they're the ones who like if i eat carbs i gain weight my insulin levels go up you know my blood sugar gets dysregulated i have a bunch of problems Wow. Yeah. So this one is also associated with your predisposition then to metabolic diseases. You mentioned one other one that was really important for predisposition, the uh, ADI POQ one. Mm -hmm. So yep, those that two one. together, I mean, yep. see some people that are just lean and they eat carbs all freaking day and you're like, what the heck? Yep. And so this is starting to piece together why that's the case. 
Yeah, they're beta cells on their pancreas. For people who have normal variants here, they're really sensitive and really mm -hmm. responsive. So they can eat carbs, they do great. And these are people who, you know, if we look at their ancestors, they probably consumed more carbohydrates, right? On the planet where they lived, their yeah. diet was higher, yeah. their body was more efficient at using awesome. them. Whereas somebody who, you know, like lives somewhere where they ate mostly fat. Wow. Dang. So that's it. <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, this is incredible information, Sarah. All right. So for those listening, hopefully this is helpful. Hopefully you can understand why you may or may not be getting results or why you may need to do some extra personalization. Again, we're using the Nutrition Genome Report here. Sarah is one of many experts out there. I guess you're, you're – offering limited consultations, but there's other people out there who can help you interpret this stuff. So this was just amazing. This is exactly what I was hoping for. I think we covered it in a really good amount of time. I need to go back and listen to this and look at my report. Uh, <laughs> right? so, yeah. yeah, this is amazing. So Sarah, uh, in closing here, tell us about some of your other work. I know you said you're bringing a few products to market. And so what other, uh, what, are, what else are you dabbling in here? Yeah, so I have a, a children's health education company. I wrote a children's book called Buddies in My Belly that explains the concept to the microbiome for the masses. Yeah. Um, so people learn that, like when you Gift learn to the, the world. Heart, Thank right? you for creating that. Yeah, uh, we you know we want kids to learn that they have buddies, and if they feed them and take care of them, the buddies will take care of them the rest of their life. They're our best friends for life. Cool. So, so what's that um, called? Yeah. Where, where, where does that program reside? Um, so it's a book you can get on Amazon, buddiesinmybelly.com is for, where for kids. Uh -huh, it's for, well, and adults, it's an easy way to understand. It. It's like a five minute read, yeah. but you will learn a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a company I have. We'll build out a whole brand. Um, I want to make it into a TV show, uh, make it very interactive and yeah. kind of a household name to come for like the Sesame Street of health. You know, yeah. you learn about all these important things in a simple manner. I um, mean, if you teach kids this stuff early, they don't have to reverse engineer it when they're 45 and already sick. Which was yeah. Like Absolutely. And our kids are our future. They really are. So we, and they're sick. So we need to change that and we can do it in one generation. Awesome. Um, so super cool. Love that. Um, I have a company that is launching here in a couple weeks called Even, mm -hmm. and um, we're providing supplement support to prescription medications. Uh, I very much believe modern medicine has a place. Uh, medications provide benefit but they deplete the body of certain nutrients that can lead to a lot of these pesky symptoms people can experience. Yep. And maybe they don't even feel them, but it puts them at risk for things. So we have a product called The Other Pill, your birth mm -hmm. control's companion. Mm -hmm. For women on birth control, the most prescribed drug in the world um, to help them feel awesome while they take the pill. So you're putting and, the nutrients back in that the prescription yes. drug is depleting and that can just improve all aspects yeah we're balancing the biochemistry it's about all about being even right when we're even our biochemistry is even just like what we're talking about this report how we do that it's a huge win right um, and then we have uh, a product called statin support um, for cholesterol medication and you know there are people who benefit from those um, but we want to mitigate you know the things that can happen while they're on them because they tend to be on them for decades so uh, really excited about that and then I have um, two patents on another project that will be my life's work um, 
that I will, I'd love to share more with sometime, but. Wow, uh, you're a total badass, Sarah, man. Look at all this <laughs> good work you're doing. You're helping people with genomics. You're bringing these incredible products to market to help people with managing prescription medications better. You're helping kids learn about healthy microbiome before it's too late. Yeah. So uh, you're doing a lot of good in the world. It's amazing. Yeah, it's fun. I love it. Uh, we have a lot of work to do. So um, thank you for what you're doing too and helping people connect more of the dots because it's yeah. so important. Cool. Well, this has been awesome. And when you've got more stuff you want to share about the work you're doing, we'd love to have you back again. But for the keto peeps out there, hopefully this is helpful for you guys. Thank you for your time, Sarah. It's been an awesome conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio.